Welcome to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Whether you're listening live on the Community Radio Network or via podcast, here's the show where you learn from experts, be inspired by journeys, and discover more about making your small business a success. I'm Alexi Boyd, broadcaster, advocate, and small business owner. Let's meet today's guest. And welcome to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Small Biz Matters is proud to announce our ongoing collaboration with the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman through regular updates from Kate Carnell all about what Aspifio is doing to support advocate for small business. So in the second of the series, Kate is going to update us about Aspifio's response to the crisis facing small business. This week, we're talking about JobKeeper, fair work changes and the eligibility test. We're going to talk about the latest negotiations between Aspifio government and banks response to the crisis, commercial tenancies, who's helping who here, and insolvency laws, what it means to be trading insolvent right now. Kate Carnell is an independent advocate for small business owners, has the legislative power to influence our nation's lawmakers, ensuring legislation and regulations are put in place to help small businesses grow and in these times, survive. Welcome back to the show, Kate. Hi, Alexi. Lovely to be here. I'm here in person. In situ. Wow. (laughs) I mean, we've done so much on... Uh, you know, on various forms of technology for so long. It's absolutely lovely to say the least being in the flesh, properly socially distanced, but in the flesh. Indeed, it is wonderful to have you in our community radio station. And I would say as well, it's been some fascinating chats we'd have recently online, albeit, um, you know, a little bit clunky working on Zoom. But it's been interesting to find what Aspifio has been doing to support small business along the way. It's almost as if this role has really taken um, a real front seat for once, having that representation for small business. Do you think that's been as a result of COVID or do you think with all the hard work that you're you and your department have done it's been coming to this anyway oh I'd love to think it's all about us it's not um look I think that uh my my position was set up four and a half years ago by legislation so we've I've existed for four and a half years the legislation was passed about 12 months or 18 months before that and the, the point of the legislation and it was passed um under Bruce Bilson who was the minister for small business at the time and an advert you know an aggressive enthusiastic advocate one of the best one of the best absolutely we call him the energizer bunny because he was just he never stopped um he owned his own business he owned a business that actually went to the wall and so he'd been through you know a really bad a bad time in small business so anyway he believed it was really important to have an independent um advocate and support for small business at the federal level and got this legislation that set up my office over the line. So it started really with Bruce and hopefully over the last four and a half years we've done a range of things like fix up bank contracts for small businesses, payment times, you know, getting governments and others to uh, implement quicker payment times. There's been issues that small businesses have raised from us with us that we've made a difference on. We've got some change. But I tell you what, until COVID, uh, it was hard to get federal parliament to really engage with small business. They were very good at saying small business is the engine room of the, our, our economy and I'm yeah. going slap, slap, you know, mm. yeah, but could you do something about it? Mm. Uh, what COVID's done is it's really made all sides of politics get that small business is actually fundamental to our economy. It was really good to see um, NAB 
released a report well, probably about four weeks ago now. And one of the stats which I really loved in there was that in 2018, 76% of all jobs in Australia were created by SMEs. 76% of so all jobs. High. It is so high, isn't it? Um, and that was only two years ago. Yeah. Um, and so you can really see, you know, that increasingly, you know, whether it's big banks like NAB and um, I suppose software companies, all sorts of people are realising that if the SME sector is not firing, there won't be jobs. So the Prime Minister's comments about the upcoming budget, you know, that it's about jobs, jobs, jobs and jobs. Well, if it's about jobs, then it has to be about the SME sector because that's where jobs will come from and probably even more so post-COVID or as COVID comes out the other end, hopefully, because I think that big multinationals will reorganise the way they work and they won't be creating new jobs. You know, there'll be fewer people in their big buildings in in CBDs. There'll be more people working from home, which is sort of a good thing, is a very good thing. But it really, it's really more about the SME sector than, than you know, than uh, um, chrome and glass um, skyscrapers in uh, in CBDs where the big guys tend to be. That's right. And we can move faster. We can make those decisions about employing people quicker and the longevity of staff. We've got a, a better track record when it comes to keeping staff on and retaining talent. Mm. It can be difficult at first to get that really good talent. But once you've got them, people want to stay with small business because they want it to is. learn from them, from the grassroots up, what it's like to run a business. And then they'll take with that um, for the rest of their career. It's fascinating to see that journey. I mean, it must have, you must have been really feel as though the whole um, concept and the whole importance of small business has really been flung in the spotlight, but as it should be, as, as it should, should be. be. Advocates have been screaming but for a long time to be on the look, front it's, of the table. It, it's true, but Alexi, we were talking before a bit about this, but one of the great dilemmas about politicians, and I was one, so, you know, from mea culpa, um, but um, is that very few of them have actually worked in small mm. business. Um, even fewer of them have actually owned their own, their own small business as you know you have as I have. I, I ran my own pharmacies for fifteen years prior to, but politics. So I know what it's like to have your house riding on it. But the vast percentage of politicians on all sides have come. Um, you know, are lawyers um, have come up through the union movement or through you know political staffing or whatever, um, and so don't quite get that. Business isn't sort of some amorphous thing, you know, that that BHP is sort of somewhat like the, the local fish and chip shop. Mm. No. And when, <laughs> they make, when they make those decisions, they don't realise the actual day-to-day impact that's going to happen. And that's what the problem is. So um, legislation federally and even state level that's about business doesn't see business as being a very multifaceted thing. So laws that are made or rules that are made for business affect the local corner store and BHP, which fairly obviously is stupid. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And so uh, so a lot of what you're doing is pushing for a differentiation of those laws when it comes to the procurement process or payment times or yeah. other... Is that one of the fundamental core principles of what you're trying to do? Look, what we're trying to do is focus back on what um, small... And small to medium, SMEs actually need to grow their business. S- small to medium businesses will say, look, you know, the red tape is a shocker. In that NAB report I spoke about, NAB suggested that the cost to SMEs of 
of unnecessary red tape or red tape was something like $9.3 billion a year. I've seen bigger figures than that, but it's a big figure and that's totally unnecessary. A chunk of it is in areas such as um, fair work in in IT laws, um, in the tax space, uh, and we all know that. So when you've got a tax act that's the same act for the big guys and for the small guys, when you've got a Fair Work Act that's the same act, whether you're big or little, you can see that there is something fundamentally wrong with assuming that, you know, back in my pharmacy land, that, you know, me with my, you know, 10, 15 employees, depending whatever, doing the wages myself fit like most small business people do you know the night before your bass is due you know that one um is that somehow the law the rules that i have to comply with should be the same as the rules of big companies that have got hr sections people to do the wages huge areas you know it's it's simply ridiculous so we've got to work out simplified ways Mm. for um, for the, our laws to affect small business, so simplified IR. I think perhaps one of the the sessions that we have you coming on later in the program, later in the year, we'll talk a little bit about making that level playing field a bit more fair, particularly around things like payment times. And you and I have talked about yeah. this in the past, the fact that small business is simply a line item on the balance sheet for big business and they are making a mozza on the interest of not paying us on time. But, hey, that's, an, that's a whole 40-minute program. Well, it, it <laughs> is, but i just got to throw in right now, you know, the sad bit is we're seeing some big businesses um, actually blow out payment times right now, you know, and ones that um, Premier Group, is just because they reported the week before last, um, increased their profit, increased their profit at a time when they've pushed out payment times quite significantly. So I don't think that's okay. It might not be illegal, but it's just, you know, if we're all in this together that isn't the way. And if we're the ones who are employing the majority of the workforce, then maybe that needs to change and we do need to have that differentiation of laws yeah. in around these around these processes. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters on Triple H 100.1 FM. When we come back, we're going to speak to Kate Carnell about recent developments in terms of advocacy and what um, her office at Aspifio is doing to change and improve the lives of small business around this time of COVID. We will be back after this. This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. Led by Kate Carnell since its establishment only four years ago, Aspifio has provided education, advocacy and support, including free assistance if a small business is involved in a dispute. The office also provides assistance for disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticultural and oil industry codes. Kate Carnell, as an independent advocate for small business owners, has the legislative power to influence our nation's lawmakers, ensuring legislation and regulations are put in place to help small businesses grow and in these times, survive. Small businesses are the engine room of the economy and it's Aspifio's role to do all they can to ensure they have the freedom to innovate, employ and thrive well into the future. So we're in the studio today and we are speaking to Kate Carnell, the Small Business Ombudsman, Australian Family Small Business, oh, I can't even say, Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. Got it. She's here with us and we're talking all about the changes and the effects that her office is having on policy, that which actually affects small business on a day-to-day level. So let's talk about the banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in your opinion, have they really come to the party and had a more flexible approach when it comes to lending around this time of COVID in this time of Need. Okay, look, 
the, the, there's two parts of that answer. One is that they've been, I think, very reasonable in terms of pushing out payments for both, uh, you know, consumers generally, but also for small businesses. So if you've got a loan with with your bank, um, well, in all circumstances, really, I haven't heard of any that haven't, they've allowed a six-month um, pay, um, payment holiday from paying what you were what you would normally pay mm. if you need it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, of course, interest uh, um, compounds during that time. So, you know, that's a you know a bit of an issue. But they have pushed payment times out. Good on them. <clears throat> um, or not payment times. They've pushed out payments, so you haven't had to pay um, what you would normally pay, which has given a lot of small business a bit of breathing space. What they haven't done well is lend. So where you need to, to to get a loan or even roll over, you know, a current, things like bank overdraft, a you know, line of credit, whatever it might be, I have to say the approach that a lot of them have taken have been not... <laughs> you've never seen red tape like you've seen in this space. So it's so become worse. It's become much more difficult to, to get a loan... Um, in this period of time. Now, what the banks will say is, well, first of all, I'll say that's not true. We've got plenty of money to lend. The problem is that the figures don't lie in this space. And the reason for it is that they're struggling to to look through COVID, if you know what I mean. So they're struggling to, to work out whether a small business can pay back a loan. So the serviceability requirements... That have been that are set up in law came out of the back of the Royal Commission, the Banking Royal Commission, have put a lot of requirements on them in terms of serviceability, and they're struggling in the current environment to determine who's going to come through and who's not. So they fundamentally make it almost impossible to borrow. The federal government announced something called the SME Guarantee Loans back in March. And fundamentally, what that meant is the federal government made a chunk of cheap money available to the banks in something called the TFF so that banks could access money on low interest rates that they were supposed to on on lend to to small businesses. Uh, Now, unfortunately, um, $40 billion was set aside for that. So far, $2 billion has been lent. So not much at all. And I think that's the reason why last week you saw the federal government announce a serious loosening of serviceability requirements for the banks. So aren't the banks just hiding behind those serviceability requirements? Oh, absolutely no doubt about that. So rather than they'd say take the risk of lending to somebody who may not be able to pay it back... You know that's that's banking. I mean, you're supposed to have those skill sets, really. I think they've uh, they've taken an approach that makes it almost impossible to to you know get a loan. In fact, we've often said the only people who seem to be able to get them are people who really don't need them. You know, so that you've got a, a, a large amount of security, a large amount of money in the bank, or whatever you might be choosing to get a loan for whatever purpose, you know, from a business perspective, you might be able to get one because fundamentally you could, you know, you've got money in other, in other places. But for a normal small business person who's trying to get a loan to reinvest in their business, get their stock back up, get their business back or on track. Or pay wages before they're, they're yeah. refund, they're re- reimbursed. All that really, really hard. 
But the announcements last week that the federal government were planning to dramatically reduce serviceability requirements, you know, to loosen up the whole, the, the system a bit, um, and and how they put that is up until now under um, changes that happened around about the GFC and were made worse in the Banking Royal Commission, there was a bit of a um, scenario where the banks had to take responsibility even if um, a small business told them fibs. You know, so uh, they, you know, it was a banker beware type scenario rather than a borrower responsibility um, approach, moving back to a borrower responsibility scenario. You know, if you tell a bank the truth and they they lend to you based upon the truth and things go wrong, you know, that's banking. If, uh, um, but the a scenario where the banks almost had to get to the bottom of whether what you told them was the truth or not was, you know, a bit ordinary, really, and really did make it hard. So good news from from federal government changes. Hopefully those changes will get through the Senate. That would be good. Right at the moment, a few people are saying they shouldn't get through. Um, so but, if they get through, how long do you think it'll take before we'll see some real change. differences and change at the, at, the, at the small business level? Look, I hope that once they go through, the banks will simply change their approach. So it won't take forever. Um, as we know, um, Parliament, you know, comes back for the budget uh, for the budget sitting um, for the sixth of October. Uh, that's when the budget is. Um, so with a bit of luck, they'll push this legislation through because right at the moment it is really, really hard. So if you're a small business owner and you're yeah. waiting on whether or not you need to borrow or you know that you need to borrow somewhere in the next now to six months' time, perhaps give your uh, federal member of parliament a call. Oh, that'd be really good. Find out what they're, what they're doing about this. Where, where do they sit on the fence? What's, how are they going to be voting, particularly in the Senate? And push them and say, I need you to get this across the line because I need to be able to borrow mm. more easily. That serviceability requirement needs yep. to come down. So this is what we're talking about a lot on Small Biz Matters. Get your boots on the ground. Make yourself your own advocate. You do have power. And remember, when you write to your Member of Parliament, they must respond in writing. Yep. So if you don't get that response, give me a call and I'll Absol- uh, Absolutely. <laughs> um, just one thing I'll just talk about. One thing we're trying to push is something called a revenue contingent loan. These are potentially smaller loans, but they, you know, they could be a, a bit, a bit like HEX. So for small businesses, um, that they can get, they can borrow money and pay it back when their revenue gets to a particular predetermined level, say 80% of pre-COVID. So if things close again or if they end up in a hot spot or whatever, their revenue will come down so they'll stop payment. When their revenue gets back to that level, they'll start payment again. What we're suggesting is very similar to HEX is the federal government makes that money available on low interest because one thing good about not much good about COVID. The one thing good about it happening now is interest rates are so low. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's cheap to borrow for the government. It's cheap to borrow for the government, like 0.25%, you know, that sort of stuff. So the government can make really low, you know, low interest rate money available for things like possibly a revenue contingent loan that would give small business the confidence to borrow because they know they can't be forced to pay it back at a time when... They don't know if there's going to be a hot spot. They don't know what's what's going to happen and interest rates really low. So we're 
I, this is, I think it's a really good idea. At the moment, you know, we're working on getting government's brain around this. Um, but gee whiz, it worked for Hex. And it would be something that we'd need an Act of Parliament for, obviously. Yes, so there's a yeah. little bit of time involved in that. Yeah. And we'd want to see, who would you want to see administer that? Um, look, it it could be a range of things, but remember, we administer HECS quite adequately. It's pretty similar. And the ATO's done a wonderful yeah. job with JobKeeper. Um, and the ATO could do it. There's there's a range of um, government entities that, that, that manage grants and loans now. They could do this. I don't think the banks should. No. Um, I really don't think the banks should because I think they'd still struggle with their risk issues and their serviceability <laughs> issues and all those other things. It would be they hard for them with. to get their concept, their head around the concept. That's right. That's it. <laughs> You got it. So um, that that's actually really fascinating. Good to hear what it is that you're doing in the future as well yeah. as what as well you've moved um, in terms of policy making now. So let's, uh, as I said, you know, boots on the ground, guys. Ring up your local member, your your federal member, and, and ask them openly. What are you doing? Where do you sit on the fence with this? How are you going to vote? Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about commercial tenancies because yep. this is something that we covered in a few weeks ago in the program. I know it's dependent on state by state, mm-hmm. um, but just broadly, what is your uh, your office doing to support? Um, business in this regard look what's it again it's state by state which is which is difficult but for all of that um say in new south wales right at the moment the retail and, and other commercial tenancy regulation 2020 whatever it's called um uh is in place until the 25th of october uh um every state has moved to push that out at the moment to keep it in place what as as your listeners will know, what the commercial tenancy or the mandatory commercial tenancy code um, does is it requires landlords to negotiate with you to give you a rent reduction up to fifty percent if your um, if your turnover is down thirty percent or more and you are eligible for JobKeeper. Uh, and then the rest of your rent can be deferred. Now, the problem comes is when this legislation finishes and it's all time limited, your the amount of rent that you've deferred becomes due and then you get a period of time to pay it back. But you're paying your old rent, you know, without the reduction plus the extra bit that you've def- you've deferred. So I just want to make sure p- people don't perceive this as some gift mm. or something. It's certainly true that for a while your rent will be lower, but it won't be very soon. Now, the other issue is, as we know, the the uh, r- or the tests for JobKeeper finished yesterday. You know, new JobKeeper is on the is is up today. So um, businesses have to re-qualify. So they have to be 30% down still. Now, we believe there's going to be a lot of businesses that aren't, um, which is good. We want them to be doing well, but they'll be 25%. Yes. Uh, and that's been my experience in the yeah. accounting and bookkeeping world as well, as people are saying, oh, I've got to give people the bad news. They're still down a hell of a lot. There's certainly no growth there, but it's not the 30%. I mean, obviously, the government needs to have some cutoff. It does. But I didn't realise that is that very important impact that your eligibility, your continued eligibility for 
JobKeeper is going to impact that the commercial tenancies situation as um, well. That's absolutely true. So you only ever got, you know, into that space because your turnover was significantly down. Um, every state's done this a little differently, but it does mean you're no longer eligible to job keep for, for JobKeeper. Your turnover is now up a bit, but mm. you're still struggling. So it's there is a chance, depending on what your situations are, that you will no longer be eligible for the commercial tenancy, uh, um, the mandatory commercial tenancy code, which will just be another problem for, for small businesses. So you'll get a reduction in your job keep, where you might have no job keeper because you're only at 25% now. You won't have access to rent reductions anymore. The banks will be starting to ask you to start paying back your loan. So you, you know, the six month um, window you got will start coming you know, we'll start closing. Yeah. Uh, so it's so important right now to go and see your accountant or bookkeeper and sit down with what cash flow looks like at the moment because it's about to change quite significantly for lots of businesses. And I was reading in the paper that a lot of businesses are, are just basically keeping their head in the sand and saying, oh, it's okay for now because I've got JobKeeper and I've got a little bit of extra cash flow in some cases, but yep. they're not looking forward in the next three to six months. And that's mm. where your accounting professional, your bookkeeper can really help you because they, they know your numbers and you need to sit down with them and talk um, about it. It's absolutely true. Too many small businesses are just getting on with the job of trying to keep their business afloat. I understand that, been there, but... Um, we're not going back to what it used to be. You know, that's not where we're heading. We're heading to post-COVID or, up, you know, the other end of COVID. And there's a whole range of things that are about to change, like um, like JobKeeper. Mm. And potentially you're not going to be eligible if you're only 25% down or even 28% down. That's right. It's got it's to a be hard that line. 30. It's a hard line. And um, you've got to be able to prove it. So if you're just going some sort of weird estimation process and you haven't got your books online and you don't have real-time data, mm. now's a good time to get organised and to engage with someone who can help you with that, really. I mean, it's anybody who's still operating, that is crazy. Oh, you've got to do it right now because yeah. remember, single-touch payroll has been in for a while for a number of... Um, what will be used to assess your eligibility is your GST turnover, and so the 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 rules have changed. You to to show your that you're thirty percent down. You've got to look at the September quarter real GST turnover. That's July, August, September compared with July, August, September last year real GST turnover. So what you've put in in your single touch payroll or your bookkeeper has if somebody else is doing it for you is what you're going to be assessed against. There are a few alternate tests but they're really at the margins and they're for really unusual scenarios like last year you were a partnership or a sole trader and last year you were sick for those three months. Yeah, or, or you've got seasonal. Yeah. So there's some marginal alternate tests. They're on the ATO website. But for almost everyone, it's going to be real GST turnover last, you know, September quarter versus September quarter last year. And they're going to have that info because you've used single-touch payroll, because it's the law. And this is the most complex piece of legislation that the accounting world has come across since the oh, GST. Absolutely. When the GST came out, we had 19 months to prepare. Haven't had 19 months to prepare for this one, so be patient with your yeah. accountant and bookkeeper. It's only the, what is it, the 28th today? Yes. So we've got to get to the 29th. end. 29th. It's all right. <laughs> I'm losing but, days. Yeah. You've got to get to the end of September before you can assess. That's so it. be patient. Um, there are alternative tests. Make sure that your accountant and bookkeeper are exploring 
exploring that for you as well because a few people do fall into that, particularly micro businesses. Now, I want to take a quick break here um, on Small Biz, listen to a couple of community service announcements. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about insolvency. You're listening to Kate Carnell, Aspifio and Small Biz Matters. We'll be back after this. This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. Led by Kate Carnell since its establishment only four years ago, Aspifio has provided education, advocacy and support, including free assistance if a small business is involved in a dispute. The office also provides assistance for disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticultural and oil industry codes. Kate Carnell, as an independent advocate for small business owners, has the legislative power to influence our nation's lawmakers, ensuring legislation and regulations are put in place to help small businesses grow and in these times, survive. Small businesses are the engine room of the economy and it's Aspifio's role to do all they can to ensure they have the freedom to innovate, employ and thrive well into the future. So we've got in the room today Kate Carnell from Aspifio talking to us about all the changes that her office is making, the way that she advocates for us, advocates for small business for each of you and makes a difference with policy. Now, last week we had Wayne Wanders on the program talking about insolvency. Uh, there's been a couple of developments in that regard. Could you just give us a broad overview and what's changed, Kate? Um, some really, really good announcements by the federal government last week, but let's put where we're up to right now. Um, What happened was the federal government, um, when uh, COVID first started, um, pushed out a range of of laws um, um, around insolvency and bankruptcy. Fundamentally, it was a safe harbour approach. So it meant that you could trade insolvent, because let's be fair, just about everybody probably was, and it also changed the way creditors could take action against uh, against you, could require their money back. So the amount of money a creditor could uh, could take action against you on went to $20,000 and you had six months to pay. Um, used to be significantly close, um, shorter than that. That's been pushed out to December the 31st, but at that point... Trade all of the normal laws come back in, which means a very large number of businesses will be under enormous pressure. Um, I, Deloitte's just recently produced a report that suggested um, 240,000 businesses in Australia were at risk um, in, in this situation. So what the federal government has announced, off the back, I have to say, of a report we did, so I'm quite proud of it, um, to have a look at how we make it simpler for small businesses. So what we're suggesting, and this bit hasn't been taken up by the government, a viability assessment and up to $5,000 for small businesses to be on go and see their bookkeeper or accountant. That bit's not there yet, but we think that's really important. The next bit they have picked up, and that's to change insolvency laws to allow a small business owner to go and see a practitioner, somebody with small business expertise in the liquidation space, and put together a plan to turn their business around, which will allow them to keep trading, even if they're trading insolvent, put together a plan, take that to the creditors. Hopefully the creditors will say, well, it's a damn side better to get something, you know, over maybe a longer period of time than to push you guys into liquidation and we probably get nothing. So it gives gives a small business a, a capacity to stay in charge of their business, work with a professional, hopefully turn their business around and have the timeframes to do that. 
But if that doesn't work, and look, there's going to be a chunk of businesses who aren't going to get through this, not fair, but they're not. Um, then a much simplified approach, a really simplified liquidation approach, 30 days, capped costs, um, you know, it's uh, it's over quickly without the liquidators, let's be fair, um, taking any money that was vaguely left. And I'm not having a go at liquidators, I'm just saying that's what happens. Um, at the moment, the bankruptcy, um, well, the liquidation um, laws, the insolvency laws are the same for big guys and little guys. What we were talking about earlier, we need a much simpler approach because I want all those small businesses that unfortunately might not make it through this to keep their house, hopefully as many creditors paid as is possible in this space and live to fight another day. In other words, live to start up a business again, you know, um, you know, at a better time. Without it looking like they're going to be crossing over the, the line of phoenixing laws. Um, absolutely. And so the phoenixing laws need to be, you know, well, are looked after in this particular scenario. So you, 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 you can't defraud people, you know. You can't um, utilise the law to move money to, you know, friends and relatives and so on so it isn't part of the liquidation. That's not not okay. But Gee whiz, there's a lot of businesses who absolutely, with no fault of their own, you know, think about travel agents, mm-hmm. you know, think about people servicing the um, the airline um, industry, think about lots, all of those poor um, coffee shops at the base of buildings in the CBD that, you know, even in, you know, Sydney, not many people in buildings in, in CBDs in lots of cases. These are businesses who no fault of their own will struggle to come through this. Uh, and so what we need is a simple method for them to close down their um, their businesses, keep their house, pay their creditors, um, and hopefully... Begin be- again. Begin again. Mm. Um, I hate the... You know, I hate even talking about it because it's not fair. In March, these people had decent building um, businesses on February. It's, it's not their fault. This is not a normal recession. It's a government-induced or a COVID-induced recession but it's happened because governments have had to close down economies. Yeah, for the sake of health and well-being and, and so livelihood and lives. So it's not their fault mm. and we've got to make this as as good as it can be and there's not much good in it. But um, let's... So those announcements were really good. They were something we've been pushing for um, for, for a long time for a long time and I just urge small businesses to go and see their accountant or bookkeeper because, you know, if if there really isn't light at the end of the tunnel here, if you really can't see how you can make cash, you know, what the 15-month cash flow might look like, um, you know, it looks if, if, if what it shows you was you'd have to double your turnover on what you were doing before COVID, well, there might be some places that are doing that, but not many. Um, the message is, so what else can we do here? Yeah. Can we pivot the business? How do we do that? Um, if not, can we close it? And can we get some advice that's going to support us in our journey? Um, what do we have to do with landlords? What do we have to do with the ATO? What do all of those things? You know, it's putting a lot of pressure on bookkeepers and accountants. I know that. So I, I reiterate your comment, you know, be be kind and be patient. But gee whiz, you need to talk to them. Mm, exactly. Well, look, that's a that's a wonderful note to, to end this program on. Thank you so much for coming into the studio once again, Kate. It's been a delight to have you here and to learn about 
all the wonderful things that Aspifio is doing at the high level, at the highest possible level to support small business and advocate in a way that hasn't happened before five years ago today. Uh, so where can people find out more about all the good work Aspifio is doing? Um, look, we've got a website. It's the um, Australian Small Business Family Enterprise Ombudsman, Aspifio, as I always say, the world's worst name. We're currently doing an inquiry into insurance because we're finding lots of small businesses are struggling to get the insurance they need at a, at a reasonable price. You'll see that on our website. Um, you know, um, if you've got any in, in, um, feedback, we've sort of closed. Um, we've we've, clo- we've closed the inquiry, but if you've got some good news stories, we'll we'll take them on board because we haven't reported yet. Um, and you'll see something called My Business Health. Can I suggest you go to that because that helps you with what's available from government, the sorts of things you have to care about, like cash flow. But the message is what you've got to do is look after your own mental health. Exactly. Because I tell you what, losing your business is pretty scary or having the, 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 the chance of losing your business. If you don't look after your own mental health, you won't be in a good position for your family, for your staff or to lead your business out of this or to start up a new one. Well, it's a wonderful website with lots of fantastic resources for small business. Thank you for supporting small businesses in the way that you do. We look forward to having you in the program in another few weeks' time to hear about more about the changes that you're really pushing. And and I'm really interested to hear about that differentiation of the law. I think that's Mm. so important. You're listening here to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Join us again next week for another range of fantastic guests. We've got a couple of uh, really fabulous women coming on the program next week to help you in your small business journey. So make sure you join us 9am next Tuesday. And of course, catch up on podcasts wherever you listen to small business education. I've been Alexi Boyd. I'll see you all next week. This week's episode was proudly broadcast from Triple H Studios in Sydney, Australia, and sponsored by the Office of the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. If you've enjoyed listening, go ahead and give us some thank you stars on your podcasting platform. It would be much appreciated. Then head to the Small Biz Matters website where you can listen to over 170 episodes, read more about our speakers and find out how to become a media partner. See you all next time.